1: Only friends? But today, we are joined by a few legends. Shit popped off last night. I don't know what's going on. What's popping, Sidekick? It's the World Series,
2: man. It's, like, a, it's officially the start. It hasn't even started yet, and shit is just popping off. We're, well, I mean, we're, we're here at 10 a.m. It's basically starting. I guess it's already right. This, this, this is the beginning of it. Uh, before we get to our special guest, I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsor for the WSOP, WPT Global. Uh, They are running a spring series right now, headed by a 1K Prime Championship. And if you guys are in available territory, head over to WPTGlobal.com or click the link below in the description. Use code Berkey for a special sign-up bonus. Uh, We're also doing a giveaway to today's 2PM 1K Prime on WPT Global. If you head over to our Twitter page at OnlyFriends_Pod, you can see the details to the giveaway. All you have to do is be in a qualifying territory, leave your username and user ID, and we're gonna select, select <laughs> a winner at random at two p.m. or sorry, at noon. The uh, tournament's at two p.m. You must play today. That's that's the only caveat to this. So uh, head on over there, get yourself a free one k, and enjoy, enjoy the overlay. You know, that's really what it's all about. It's love, the summer of overlay. Love the overlays. Speaking of overlay, how's this weight
3: loss bet going, Deeb? It, it's good, man. Uh, you know, I'm down over 30 pounds already. Um, definitely where I wanted to be going in the series. It's kind of my goal was to be around this point.
2: You look good, cuz.
3: Uh, it's the beard. You know, yeah. people call it the beard, but it hides the double chin really mm-hmm. well. I see. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of tricks up my sleeve. I though. can't
2: grow one, so I have to stay skinny.
3: You can't grow one?
2: No, I'm patchy, man.
3: Uh, you think I'm not patchy? This took two and a half months even kind of yeah, cover fair. up.
2: You know? Yeah, that's fair.
3: You just got to accept the grind. W-
2: would you consider just... a little Rogaine for the beard?
0: <laughs> uh,
3: I, I, you know, I'm on the fence of whether or not to go full dreads at some point during wow. this. Wow. I mean, that's a lot you. of weight. Let me help you. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm not doing this for vanity, Conrad. I'll take you know how a much...
0: bet if I can shave it while he's leaving.
3: <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bill Perkins is me <laughs> be listening, Kim. You got to remember what side you're on. <laughs> So this is Kim, my massage therapist, who uh, I found literally one week before I took the bet, and I've gotten a lot of massage, and she worked on me, and I was like, you are who I'm looking for. She gets insane deep uh, pressure, finds spots that never could imagine anyone can get to. It's insane what she's done, and once I booked this bet, I knew that she was going to be such an integral part, and then when I mentioned I was going to Vegas, and I said, and pe- kind of half-joking, I was like, do you want to come out to Vegas for two months with me? She's like, yeah, I'm in so she's here all
0: right what really happened was he came in and said oh my girl in vegas doesn't do that i said well when your girl in vegas can't do what i do fly me out (laughs) he came back twice and he's like all right you serious about vegas
2: (laughs) so is this just going to be like scheduled daily massages to keep you in are you going to torture her and have her at the table like 24 7
3: I don't know yet. Uh, she's still working <laughs> on getting her license to officially work at the tables. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a room, so she, and we actually carried a table from home here. So there's going to be flexibility. And I don't know since I've never done this before. I don't know what schedule's going to be best. I don't know how much lifting I'm going to be able to do. I don't know how often I'm going to need it. Um, you know, the last few years I've probably done two to three massages a week. I would go to this. Uh, you know tie place where they would step all over my back and this girl was great but unfortunately she's uh, pregnant now so she's not doing the heavy pressure and so you know when I found out about that and knowing Kim was coming out here I knew I needed her close by and she's gonna be you know so key to my summer success
2: have you have you dealt with any injuries thus far Kim you probably can answer that better than me
0: we're preventing injuries for him sure so like his weak knees like I'm no from He's never worked out before. So you're taking somebody who's never worked out and doing all these really heavy exercises. And I'm like, no, no, no. Scale it back a little. So there's a lot of give and take for this.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah like She communicates sense. with the trainer and was like, hey, do knee strengthening exercises, no squats. Like she's like, you keep getting, you know, uh, these knots in your shoulders, adjust this. And it's all that prevents. So talk to the nutritionist, like, okay, we're getting too many knots. We need more potassium. And uh, like the way she like cleans off, you know, The fascia and all the other fluid in my muscles it's great like every day i lift after getting a massage my trainer says how much better i can do
2: yeah yeah i mean i think uh that's a big part of functional movement um i I think that the guy i was telling you about that i went to after my knee surgery that i've basically been going to for the last 10 years that that's what he specializes in everything's about functional movement training so um you do a lot of unilateral stuff right so it's basically to get all your movement patterns in as close to ideal form as possible so that you don't have some sort of imbalance where it's like when you squat you lean a bit, a little bit to the right and then your left hip starts to give That's out That's what we're finding yeah you, you're just going to naturally have a lot of those issues because one you haven't done this a lot and two even if you did you're still human you know yeah
3: my, my i always knew my legs were a little uneven i had like you know kind of a bad like mild scoliosis and so this definitely these things like kim's noticed dropping my leg you know after doing some hip work and trying to keep that as close to even as possible has been so helpful
2: well the real grind begins tomorrow my friend for some of us when do you play i'm playing tomorrow I, I, okay. are you coming in the 25k six I, max i will not miss the six max event wow can't the only thing i think i'm good at are you selling at robbie j lude markup level <laughs> what she said <laughs> She's marked down, marked down. Yes. Wait, is she playing the 25k? No. Okay. For five ks uh, and three k. Did she just
0: get nervous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he scared her at the table. No.
2: She's very intimidating in poker. I I am not selling, <laughs> not selling to the 25k. I'm not selling to anything. I'm playing. Uh, everything's within buying range. Yeah. I didn't get a bracelet bet, so like I don't think I'm going to play a ton. Well, I mean, I told you when you talked to me, I knew
3: your line was off, and I I heard you talked to Zanzac and a few other smart guys, like. It's so much easier than people realize, but it's because you see so little and there's so much variance behind it, but a great player, especially a name like you, especially after the year you've had, people are going to be so afraid of you.
2: I don't know why. I don't do this. Man, we just had a tournament (laughs) academy and uh, I let our head coach, Matt Hunt, run the whole thing. This guy knows so much about tournament poker. I don't know shit. He's talking about risk premiums. He's talking about like... You know, how to calculate, not calculate, but like how to estimate ICM whenever you're deep in the event. I'm like, I am not folding ace queen. Okay. Do you think I've ever
3: paid attention to ICM in my whole career? <laughs> well,
2: no, but I don't think that you're, a, I don't think you're like a huge favorite to win a no limit bracelet either. Uh,
3: yeah, I'm not, but I mean, I'm still got a good shot.
2: I still do really well in big fields. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It seems really fucking hard, but hey, maybe we rip one off. Um, you mostly, you're going to be playing afternoon events though, right? I play every event, Matt. I play about 120
3: to 150 bullets during the summer.
2: So walk me through that because uh, you're going for player of the year as you do every year, of course. Do you have any side action on that? Um, no, no one wants to bet me. They Did won't. you have side action <laughs> last year?
3: I had one small bet where I actually bet against myself. So I think it was like three to one or two to one that uh, I bet against REA that me or Negrano wouldn't win player of the year. Oh, okay. I took the field.
2: Okay, that seems sharp.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable of the equities of this stuff. I do think that with the weight loss bet and with some other stuff, I wasn't sure how close I would be and the schedule changes. Yeah, um, It's gonna be harder to multi-table and do some of the things I normally do. So I really was not as confident this year as I would have been in years past right. to make some bets, and I had some crazy ideas, but I just had too much going on to really organize them. Why? So, it, I'm sorry. Why ahead.
1: is it harder to multi-table? You're gonna be a lot faster. <laughs> no,
3: that <laughs> that that side is definitely better. Like my body's used to running, not running, but moving now. But uh, no, because the 10Ks they adjusted the day one structure to be eight eight hours instead of ten, uh, and they moved up the start time and the finish time. So like, what I used to do is I'd bag a no limit tournament at eight, nine o'clock, or 10 o'clock, whatever it was, go play five hours in that next, the 3 p.m. event, mm-hmm. max late reg or hop in, and then also the start time would be noon for the no limit and two o'clock for the other one. So there would actually be overlay in the breaks. So as soon as I would get to the first break of the first one, I would then go play the other one and then just go back and forth. Gotcha. So uh, this year it's gonna be different. So I think the day twos are also gonna be closer together. So it's not as often as I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to be two hours into this tournament that much deeper before I start multi-tabling officially. Gotcha, that's unfortunate.
2: Yeah. How- how does that work whenever you're choosing your schedule so if you have like you know some down bad 1k no limit at 11 or 10 a.m whatever the fuck it is and then you have a 10k mixed championship at three or two how how are you playing both of these so i hop into the 1k at the start and i go
3: absolutely animal and i make sure i have like 10x average by the time the 10k starts i mean 10x starting stack
1: i make sure i have 10x 10x starting stack oh, it's, uh, easy.
2: Fine, right? <laughs> you gotta go animal obviously yeah uh but then you just like you just hope that's enough to bag then
3: no i mean like i i go play that because the 10k has late reg open for so long <laughs> right so i'm just making sure i'm gonna cash i'm gonna do it like the way the poi formula is the min cash is worth say 50 points and then the next 30 percent is worth 100 points and then if you get to the next 50 percent, it's 200 points. So like getting to that third tier min cash is so important for POI in those small, no limits. That is my sole goal because once you get to like 120th place out of a 4,000 person field, the next points are ninth place for right. POI. Yeah. So like that's kind of my goal. And I work on that. You know, me and Dan, Zach, have talked a lot during the series. Uh, you know, Dan Wyman's in the studio. He came second last year. And, you know, the three of us were talking a lot of POI strategy because I think we have it pretty uh, optimal optimal at this point
1: what is your drive for poi like, yeah that was gonna be my follow-up too. pure pure vanity um <laughs> <laughs> so
3: you know for those Conrad, you probably don't know this matt will know like my first claim to fame in poker in poker was winning the poker stars tournament leaderboard oh the yearly back-to-back my first two years um, so that was always like how I got notoriety. I've loved leaderboard grind-based challenges, and P.O.Y. is just that. Gotcha. I could, I'm not the best player, but I will work the hardest and play the most and play all the games efficiently enough. And that's what is my skill set, and that's why P.O.Y. is great for me. And, you know, early in my career, all my friends wanted it. Frank Casella, Ben Lamb, Gordo, Jason, you know, all these people and, and I played more volume than them and I was a better tournament player. So I got needled forever. <laughs> so I just said, I'm going to win POI. I won it in 18. I should have won it in 19. It was fucking bullshit. What happened to me? Um, <laughs> and, you know, and obviously battling with D negs, him being one who's won two and no one else has won two. It's like all the things I want to do. And POI, I think is the most, the hardest thing to achieve at the world series. One person wins it. Sure. And the one person who wins it, had a great summer, worked their ass off, played well, and it really, I think, needs to be celebrated more in the community. And that's been my, for years, no one took POY seriously. Then I started coming in, talking about it, motivating people, and like, pushing for how difficult it really was.
1: Yeah, I, the, I, the problem is you have to play mix to, to win it. You don't, of.
3: actually. Uh, Scott Ball came close to winning it as a no-limit player. But, he, but gets, he
1: also won two bracelets. Though.
3: But when you have 100 events, someone's going to win two bracelets every year. Right. Like, you're it's a massive favorite to win two bracelets these days, and that's even if you just play no limit peel or just no limit. Like, if you play the 5Ks, the 100K, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those guys, like a D Peters, has a great chance of having a two bracelet summer every year. That's true.
2: Yeah, I wonder if that would be good enough. I, I don't know enough about the scoring to know if uh, those high rollers are, I guess, so right? It's the same as like a small so they actually give more field. points, they give yeah. more, um, like because the buy-in's big. Yeah, so yeah. like the
3: 250K last year when Dan Zach was on the bubble if he min-cashed he got 300 POY points. First place was like 1250. Yeah. So there's so many weird pay jumps of POY jumps where it's such a big kind of like ICM bubble for mm-hmm. POY points and knowing that in each tournament and going on that is so important. So uh yeah there's multipliers so like field size really doesn't hurt as it should in POY. There's a lot right. of things I would change about the formula but as of now it seems it's going to stay that way for a while until Someone else takes over the World Series or focuses on different things, and because like the problem is if you do field size too important, then the main event winner wins every year, and right, that was the yeah, problem course, with it for a few years. It's like if someone ever made a final table and won the main, they just won, and and that's I think that's not right for poker.
2: Yeah, I mean that's how Greggy and Benba pretty much won. Well, ben, ben
3: had a lot. Both of them had. <laughs> both one of them Brit, won the ten
2: yeah. k six max, yeah. and then went right into the main and got first and well, third I, respectively. I thought I think.
3: Ben won one of the PLOs.
2: Oh, maybe he won the 10k yeah. PLO, uh, which is now the 25k PLO championship, or
3: well, they're still the 10k PLO. Oh, okay, they, okay, they have a 10k, a 25k, and a 50k now.
2: Okay, yeah, uh, I get confused with all the additions of the high rollers, but um, yeah, both. I think it was like back to back years, if I don't, if I if I recall correctly, because Ben made it the same year as Phil, which was 11. Um, but yeah, he ripped off like the last event prior to the main, which must have been the 10k PLO. Uh, Or maybe he won the 10K PLO and got third in the 10K 6 max. Because I think they were back-to-back, and I remember a very key hand where he was coming off the high of shipping a bracelet, and he just, like, four-bet jammed king-queen, ran right into aces, and got the guy out of there. And then just, like, you know, (laughs) heaved up a stack from there and ended up, I think, getting third in that and then third in the main. But, yeah, some epic runs. Uh, I want to kind of switch to Wyman a little bit since, you know, I don't think a lot of people know that you're a guy a guy guy you know like you're in there you're in the mix you got second last year nobody knows that oh for sure definitely you've been you've been around for a while we made a final table together back in the day i fucked you
0: You (laughs) i fucking good i limped the kings (laughs) six max i remember i had the jacks and the big blind yeah you you did it you knew i had the jacks i I
2: knew what was coming man
0: you limped off the 10 bigs i was like i probably probably just has kings i should just (laughs) check and find a way out but gave you the full double
2: yeah appreciate that uh, Did you win, s- Burke? No, I managed to get fifth. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great, though. Yeah, 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 I thought so, too. Uh, How do you, you end up being a short stack in a tournament? Like,
3: you don't seem like the guy was ever going to end up with that shallow stack. Uh,
2: it was weird. Uh, that that event was crazy. So it was a 1,506 max in, I think, 2017. Uh, I was, like, wire-to-wire wire chip leader. Bag bagged chip lead day one. I was this the one you were 70% two. with, like,
3: 12 no, left? No, that was oh,
2: okay. the 1K uh, little one. That was fucking brutal. Um, but day three, I had like a somewhat tough table. I had MIG to my right and a couple other pros at my table. And I ended up playing like a 200 big blind pot, blind versus blind versus MIG, where I flopped, uh, I think top pair and a gutty. And he had an open and straight flush draw and we just got it in and he binked, and it left me with like eight bigs. (coughs) And somehow I managed to like grind that all the way down to the final table where I came in short. I think I came in with like 15 bigs. Uh, and it was the unofficial final table of like seven. Managed to, you know, just maneuver, get a little bit lucky. And I ended up like, after doubling through Dan, I ended up running up to like 50 big. So I was like second or third in chips. But Cuz got me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> fucking Cuz. <laughs> Cuz was, was getting a little out of line and I knew it. He opened under the gun six handed uh, and it folded me in the small blind. I had, eight, I had eight four suited and I just knew this guy was too fucking tight. So I three-bet him, and he just stuffed King Jack off right off me. <laughs> left, me uh, left me with, like, 20 bigs, and, you know, I can't
0: handle that stack. So I got out of there promptly. <laughs> um, but you've always been a mixed game guy. Kind of been uh, a no-limit guy to start yeah. and then got into mix, kind of when I met Sean, to be honest, and kind of realized that— Was it because of open face? Maybe a little bit because of open face. I never felt like I had what it took to be the best no-limit player. I didn't want to put in the work. I, yeah. Didn't want to, you know, do what you have to do to get into these games. So I kind of tried to say, you know, I want to walk into a poker room and be able to play whatever the best game is, be that stud or mix or no limit or PLO. So I've always felt like I've been good at every game, not great at any game. And it's been sufficient. Is there truth to the, to the
2: rumor that you invented Fantasyland? God, I hate, I hate that it is true, but wait, yes. no, yes. yes. The no. originator no. of fantasy land is right I've before been... you
0: the promoter of reminding
3: people that Dan is who did it.
0: See, I really wish I hadn't because it was like a, probably a mid seven figure mistake at this (laughs) (laughs) time. Well, I appreciate you, man.
3: Yeah. He was very kind to his friends after inventing it.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Sean. So wait, you,
2: you invented it and they figured it out.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the game like open face started in 2012, I think. Yeah. And it was one card at a time. There was no fantasy. It was pure math. So, Sean was by far the best in the world at it. And then I remember- we, That seems so ironic to me. It was pure <laughs> math. So
2: obviously Deeb was the best in the world.
0: <laughs> he was the one willing to put in the work. And sure. there, I think there was one summer where he was playing huge with some guys from China and just won all of the money. And the game was kind of slowly dying. And out of the blue, we just kind of made up Fantasyland. Let, let's just try this. Like we make Queens up top. Let's throw some variants in the game. And suddenly it caught on, and you know, for two or three years, I remember just everybody was playing open face at the series. Yeah, and then kind of fell apart. Sean uh, and I have, you know, continued to play till this day. But that's wild. We,
3: we play a lot smaller now. We we used to be very bloody. Um, we've had some crazy ideas. Like we had one idea one time that we get a, a mulligan any day of gambling for each other in the year. We just get to erase that debt. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
1: And you only get one a year. One a
3: year. So That's we're like, nice. we're going to play really big if we do that. So yeah, that- like this is probably bad, but like, you know, we <laughs> our friendship ended a few times over the years through some gambling. There was some accusations tossed, but uh, you know, we basically realized that we'd rather be friends the stakes don't matter that we play. Let's play small, have fun, you know, sit in the room. Like last series, we played a lot of open face after bagging different tournaments or on dinner breaks. You know, it's just, it's Take fun. a
1: fucking nap, man. Nah, open face <laughs> is so much fun, man. Like I I miss having people play open face with. Oh, you
3: got, so, you really got cool. action right here, nah, Conrad. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think that was my introduction to you, uh, was through Jay Merce, when he was like real heavy into the, to the open face grind, so like
0: 2014-ish, somewhere in that time frame. Oh yeah, he was, he was kind of part of the original crew when, when Fantasyland was created. We were in San Remo, I think, playing an EPT over there, and just ended up at some wine bar after the tournament playing old school open face, and just kind of as a group, just came up with this idea.
1: How crazy is it that this pod went from Deeb and Wyman just hanging out to fucking Wyman's just the goat? Oh, I, <laughs> I've known this forever. Why didn't yeah, I brought him? clout. I knew <laughs> the
2: presence we were in.
1: My God. But
2: you also have like no idea of the the the, the history of Deeb either. Like the, the pre-Black Friday. We don't have enough time on this show to really get into it. But, like, the Ted Fish Fry years, the, the Turning Stone years, like, way, 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 hey, way I'm different. I'm still Turning
3: Stone legend. Just shipped the tournament last couple months ago. Yeah, there.
2: you should be real proud of that. Hey, that's, <laughs> the thing,
3: that's why I got the prop bet. So,
2: yeah, I understand. Like, you <laughs> wow, step in shit true. a lot in your life. But, you know, some people, the rest of us have graduated out of Turning Stone. My
1: God, you won 200K eating chicken nuggets.
3: <laughs> uh, more than 200. It was like 400. Well, because okay. you crossbooked, Jesus right? Christ. Yeah. those yeah. 300 was first, yeah, in
2: the yeah. crossbook
1: eating chicken nuggets and then you found another million out of it so i I basically
3: (laughs) my whole career i've tried to win more than first place because that was like a big thing online when you could chop and get more than first place so i got more than first place in the tournament but if i win the prop bet with bill i will win more than the whole prize pool of the (laughs) tournament which will never happen again
2: (laughs) that's actually pretty remarkable um that's amazing last last thing i want to touch on with the the weight loss bet uh what is your schedule going to look like as far as training because I don't know. Well, actually, walk me through. How much time are you putting into the day, uh, as far as like the regiment goes, with your food prep, with training, with massage and recovery and everything else right now? So
3: I'm just gonna, like I do my World Series schedule, fit as much of everything in as possible. Um, I'm gonna use pokermeals.com um, for food. They're not gonna be set up for a few days, unfortunately. So Kim is gonna offer to be helpful. I'm gonna reach out to TJ, get some advice from him on some things. Um, you know, my workouts, I'm not sure if I'm gonna do. Mornings, dinner breaks, at night. I don't know if I'm just using my trainer from home. Like, I'm gonna feel out everything. Like, I'm a volume guy. I don't, I don't sit there and plan. I just kinda see what feels right and so i'm treating this summer as i have the flexibility my wife's been awesome she's taking care of the kids i'm not dealing with any of the bullshit at home you know i'm focused on just the bet and just poker and everything else will you know fall by the wayside
2: all right man I well i'll tell you what if if you want to do a 7 to 10 a.m thing i got you for sauna trainer and uh, yeah i don't
3: think that's good for me i, I thought about that and like when i talked to people who've worked out in the summer. Super early morning because I'm gonna be finishing at two three o'clock winding down. No, it's it's It's, impossible. Yeah, it's just I don't think that's optimal. I think end of the night, me and Dan always uh, the last few years would always play open face a few hours. Like I'm always up a few hours. I'm so wired at the end of the night. That's one when I'm hitting my peak performance of poker yeah. is the end of the night like i just hit another gear that no one else can get and i think that's when i should be hitting the gym you know uh ben mince is coming out here we're gonna do a bunch of segments with poker go calling go go and deep with Mincy. We're, we're gonna do weight loss we're gonna do you know food prep we're gonna do talking hands because you know he hasn't been out of the game for a long time i it's crazy you know talk about the ted's fish Ride days i remember playing against the destroyer in the fifty fifty when uh Till had that with like all the bonuses and we battled a lot back in the day and when mincy got hired by um barstool barstool I was telling Dan, I was like, hey, look at this guy. Dan's like, oh yeah, I know him. He's like, we swapped in Mincy's like big claim to fame. Dan was deep with him in that tournament. So like the overlap <laughs> of this crowd, like, you know, all these people I get to know, like they, we've all interacted separately. Like that's what I always love about poker is you're, you're, some of your close friends, you don't know that they had a couple weeks they were hanging out with this person or they have some experience and like, oh yeah, we're friends with them too. It's like, it's such a melting pot of experiences and knowledge and cultures and it's the greatest advantage of poker is that stuff
2: yeah i didn't i didn't know mincy was the destroyer uh i, re- I remember that screen name you well. didn't know that no i had no idea i thought that he was just like a barstool guy kind of like nate
3: no he was he was a poker player first and then like after black friday wasn't doing well live and then got like his degree and went into sports media so like he's an old school pre-black friday grinder with all of us
1: pretty sick what is ted's first fish fry so
3: that's uh, my family business. Um, we own six of them on upstate New York. Okay. It was my grandfather's name. He started about 75 years ago. Uh, Dan and Kim have both eaten there plenty of times. Great unhealthy food. Oh, so, I like it. Yeah. That's why the diet. Yeah. <laughs> so our fish fries are like, it's different than what most people think. So it's a strip of fish breaded on a hot dog roll with a homemade chili or tartar. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, but there's
0: other uh, uh, seafood too that is so good. Oh, sweet. oh it's so good. That
2: sounds good. Man, you lost me. I'm in there. <laughs> you don't like fried seafood? I I do as it's as a standalone. <laughs> like just give me the fried meat and some ketchup to dip it in and we're we're ketchup? good. Ketchup.
3: Yeah. Like do At least co- I put cocktail and get some spice no, with it.
2: I don't want any of that shit. I I would rather actually I have a really funny story I've told it before, but uh i was in san diego and i was visiting dan o'brien at the time when he lived there and like there was a group of 13 of us or something and he's like oh i want to go to this michelin star place for for lunch on the water i'm like okay so we go there and i'm like looking at the menu and it's so bougie and like nothing that i really want i'm just like man it's it's brunch like i i just want some fucking eggs but it's a seafood place so i was like okay well i'll try the fish and chips like there's no way that this could be a miss so i order the fish and chips they bring it and uh, I'm looking and there's like all these cocktail sauces and stuff. And I go, can I have some ketchup? <laughs> and they're like, uh, the chef does not recommend ketchup. <laughs> and I go, I don't give a fuck. He's not eating it. I want some ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, you should, try the, you should try this stuff over here. And It was like, uh, it was basically like some sort of like Zaxby sauce, like ketchup and mayo mixed or whatever. And I was like, I, I mean, you made this give me half of the ingredient just bring me the ketchup and they're like we can't do that i was like okay so i like wait till the waitress leaves and it's on this like strip Uh, like almost a boardwalk or whatever and there's a fast food joint right next door i just like walk my happy ass over there (laughs) squirt out some Heinz 57 and
3: come back i was really hoping you went and got some ketchup packets and brought them back and using your teeth to open it up
2: (laughs) i mean if that's what i would have taken that's what i would have taken i was so mad i'm like fuck this michelin star bullshit tell me how i'm gonna eat my food i just want some goddamn ketchup Is that asking too much? you're 40 years
3: old, Berkey, man. You got to progress the palate a little bit. I know you're... Progress the palate,
2: it's fried fucking fish. Let's (laughs) let's not go overboard here. Sauces are important. (laughs) Look, they serve me French fries. If you're going to give me French fries and not offer me ketchup, you're doing it wrong. I don't care how high class and upscale your place is. Man, did they serve it on a (laughs) flip-flop? No, it was not on a flip-flop. You know what? I'm coming around the land, and he should have been allowed to wear the cutoff fucking (laughs) sweatshirt. I, I, it's funny
3: when you say that about Lennon because I have a few stories of going to Michelin restaurants in like baggy jeans when those are popular hoodies yeah. and a backwards hat. And like one of my favorite stories is doing that in Amsterdam to a two Michelin star <laughs> restaurant. And at first, like, are you at the right place? We're like, yeah, and we went there and the staff loved us because we were like normal people. who, sure. had, You know what I mean? Yeah. They're used to so many high up people who, like talk down the staff and we became good friends with them. And they actually like got us a table the next night. For a second meal where they just did whole tasting from the chef because uh the bond we made over how should we dress
2: yeah hey, <laughs> god bless i've been kicked out of many of vegas clubs because i showed up in shorts <laughs> what are you gonna do man you know you don't have to conform um all right let's 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 talk about what everybody's actually tuning in for this fucking million dollar cash game it's wild uh, well, so it's getting wild. Well,
1: I was gonna
3: say it couldn't be more three different episodes. Like, <laughs> no, I agree. It really—if you watch, it's hard to believe it's the same venue, day apart with some of the same characters. You really see the dynamics change of a stream game with the particular characters added or removed.
2: Yeah. So uh, let, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, the first session, I think people really <coughs> expected there to be blood because it was a very deep buy-in, one million dollars, playing five hundred one k, and it was basically all wrecks. Uh, and I don't think I'm insulting anybody by saying that, but um, by far the snuggest uh, of all the days of play. And I don't think that that, I, like, I think that game is very representative of what high stakes no limit looks like whenever it's mostly recreationals playing, right? A lot of multi-way flops, a lot of cold calling of three bets, not a ton of pre-flop aggression, um, you know, racing the showdown, kind of a battle of the blue line, if you will, right? Uh, people want to speculate. They they want to they try to make big hands and then play big pots that way. And because of that, we didn't really see a lot of blood. Uh, the viewership was not happy, <laughs> right? The viewers, they want blood. They want million-dollar pots. They want to see some sort of monkey wrench thrown into there. Uh, what, what's your opinion as far as somebody who kind of understands that world a little bit and having watched that episode... With regard to what stream games should do with lineups like this.
3: So I think one of the, there was so much arguments of to play a stand-up game, to do the sit-down game, you know, the how to cap the straddles, to allow sleeper straddles. Like they did so much to prevent action mm-hmm. because they wanted to protect, like, hey, we have this great lineup and if someone goes broke real quickly, we're gonna have to replace them with a pro and that changes the dynamic. So I think they were so focused on treating it like almost like a poker after dark, like Sit and go when, you know, Poker Dark used to do those cash yeah. games. It seemed that that was the mo from Ryan and Nick, and they were like, "We want these eight guys to play together and be here for eight hours. We don't want to have a bunch of new faces coming in and out." So they really limited a lot of stuff, and I think people are also getting comfortable. It's like playing for those stakes on TV. A lot of those guys play that big or bigger regularly, but being on camera changed a different dynamic, and no one wanted to just punt. No one wanted to pull an Eric Persons on that show, and you saw that. And like you know, uh, Keating was talking about like, "I hope the game's going to open up as the night goes on," yeah. and it opened up a little bit. But it's still, it really didn't have that driving force because you need to really be a big game, you need two people raising and re raising. Yeah. It's like if you have one person always pushing the action, everyone just limps to them, they raise, everyone calls. Me and you have been in a thousand games where we we're that guy of that game. Yep. And so you need that clash of multiple people to get the squeeze, re squeeze. And then people are just getting in there in goofy spots with weak ranges. But you really didn't have that with that dynamic, and I think you know the next two days they definitely improved on that, and you saw more exciting hands, more exciting pre-flop stuff, more straddles, and it definitely is—they're finding their sea legs for that show for sure.
1: You just need a catalyst in the game. That's what you really just needed the first night.
2: Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a couple of things that you touched on there that are, are very important. Uh, one, I think that you need um, you need some sort of dynamic between two people. Right. So just having Keating isn't enough. Uh, I think you need somebody that gives enough action regardless of uh who the action is going to. A facilitator, if you will, somebody that the money's gonna flow through. And I, I think your point is valid. Like that's always been my value add to these high state games is that well, I'm gonna V pip a lot of hands and I'm gonna raise and re raise a lot no matter what, no matter who's in the game. I'm not worried about upsetting anybody. So Uh, If you insert someone like yourself, someone like me, somebody like Huss, somebody like Ozzy Matt into that lineup with Keating, those two will naturally uh, kind of butt heads to where everybody else can feel comfortable getting in the middle. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, even somebody like even if it's like me and J.R.B. instead of like Keating and J.R.B., I think you see a little bit more of that because for whatever reason, Keating has gotten himself to a point of being known as such a reckless gambler that I think people were starting to to shy away and be afraid. And we saw a blank check. Ben limped King Jack suited under the gun on Keating's straddle. And then Keating obliged and opened. And he just folded, knowing that it was probably going to go five ways if he called. And he wasn't comfortable for betting. Right. So it ended up being this weird dynamic where imagine a scenario where Blank Check Ben, who says he's too rich to bend over and pick up $200,000 off the ground, is now limp-folding King Jack suited because he doesn't want to play a five-way pot versus Keating whenever they're, you know, a a thousand big blinds effective. Uh, So I I think, like, to that end, yeah, the, the dynamics need to be balanced a little bit more. Like, all the recreationals don't want the pros in the game because it poses a threat. But the truth of the matter is, it just really generates action it's not even that they're often going to be the biggest winners in the game or take that much away from the other players even if you inserted a person in that game like an eric person to the to heads with somebody i think you see a lot more um i think the second takeaway takeaway is that that game isn't meant to be televised i've played in that specific lineup hundreds of times must be nice it is. Uh, it is and i'll I'll tell you right now, like it's just an infinitely better game when the cameras are not rolling, just so much better like there are so many people that have to be scrutinized based off of their whole cards being revealed, right like they don't want to they don't want to look foolish to their peers, they don't want to look foolish to uh you know whatever they don't want to punt off. Whenever they're the head of a company or, or what have you, you know, there's just like a million reasons why the cameras being on put extra pressure on each individual in that lineup to the point where they can't just like play the way that they would play when the doors are locked, the cameras are off and everybody's just kind of in a bit of a gambling mood. So I think like night one, I don't want to say it was drawing dead, but I think like the product we got is the product to to expect and that's fine. It's, 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 it's a, pleasant viewing experience it's just you're only going to see you know a couple hundred big blinds swing one way or the other i also want to say like i think the
3: table talk was so lacking that day i think agreed there wasn't JRB was half asleep yeah jereby is a great table diner. Dynam- like we played a lot with him throughout the years he's so entertaining but he was so tired yeah that the conversation just didn't happen tony g doesn't have the voice he used to have like there was just wasn't someone leading like the you know as much as we hate on the high stakes poker berkey you, you know, an airball game, whatever, Rob and Doug, like there was so much conversation going on, people willing to engage and talk about different topics. There was barely any table talk that day. You know, yeah. I, I basically turned off the sound because it was just not worth it. I knew that nothing was being said of value. There were no needles, everyone's being polite. Oh, you play so good. And everyone's giving compliments of the game. Like, you know, talk some shit. You know? <laughs> and we saw that in the next few nights, you start talking shit, the viewership goes up, the game gets more entertaining. And then these battles that happen, we love to watch as fans.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of skipping over night two to get to night three. We should skip over night two. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, I thought night two was a, a a very welcome change. Uh like lowering the buy-in and adding a couple of those wild cards in Huss and Ozzy Matt, I think like really, really ramp things up. We saw Charles lose nearly a million. Um and the the action was a whole lot better and i think that would have been the case whether they played a 500k buy-in or a million dollar buy-in so even though they did cut the buy-in in half i don't necessarily think that that's what drew the blood but night 3 was for sure the right mix guys i'm stuck i'm well, sorry
1: on how fucking rich do you have to be to not pick bend over and pick up 200k
0: really rich
2: <laughs> i mean <laughs> look uh, i'm not i'm not trying to take shots but like you're just full of shit. <laughs> Nobody who's too rich to pick up 200k limp folds I, king I, jack suited. I might have
3: been too fat to pick up 200k
2: before. Like that's possible. Like, like I don't even know that I'm too rich to pick up a corner But if I did feel that way, I'm still not limp folding king jack suited. You know what I mean? Like, if you're too rich for money, you don't conserve. Whenever the opportunity to, like, you know, spend for fun presents itself. So, like, I don't know, man. I,
3: I think it's all... Here's the thing. So many people on the show, it's ego-based. It's not financial-based. And that, you know, causes the tightening up. They, they don't want to lose. They want to prove that they're better than people think they are. And that's so important for them.
2: I think that's mostly true, but I'll push back a little bit, man. I saw some assholes puckering last night. <laughs> when, that game, when that game turned to 1K, 2K, 4K, I saw some of the richest people in that game, their assholes were puckering ben was constantly trying to lower the stakes even though he got into the game late he was desperately trying to keep wesley and an airball around which no offense but like they were zeros to this lineup. well and and that's the thing is like
3: but you understand the difference of playing five-handed to seven-handed like it's so bad that you know ryan and nick didn't push back on wesley and airball to be at the table more every time i've ever played on a stream show i I've always pushed for people don't like, if you got to do something, do it, but it just looks bad to constantly not be there. Like where people are signing up for a seven or eight handed game and to play four and five handed one K, two K, four K is so different than playing eight handed. Like what they signed up for. Luckily the few people left were actiony enough that they enjoyed that. And they were stuck in winning and didn't want to be the ones, but like, you can't allow your players, especially players like Airball are talking about, I want to play this big, I want to do this, I want to do that, and then he just, all of a sudden, they're playing massive, he has a seat in the game finally, after sitting out for
2: two days, and he just walks away, and he's like I mean, look, call a spade a spade man, he was he was locking up the win, he was for sure no, we know that, but that's, tight money in that game. But
3: Yeah, you won 400k, man. He lost so much more to you. Like, if you're gonna get even, that's your game. If you wanted to, you know, get your downswing over, you're in a good game in a good seat. Like, you have direct position on Pav, who was awesome, great action. Pav was amazing. He was so like his squeezes, his frequencies were great. He picked some great hands. The king nine check raise bluff was super great for Stanley. Like, he was he was a smart player. Like, I like those smart wrecks who. All right, I could tell he's kind of a field player looking for some live reads, like, but he's splashing. He's like, the stakes don't matter that he was there to like prove to himself that he could compete and he did a great job.
2: Yeah, I thought I thought Pav was amazing, and I know people gave Huss a lot of shit because he was winning and calling him a fake action pro, but like, bro, he was there and he would have been there three handed. He is not fake action, he just got the best of the card distribution yeah he played yeah. a lot of weekends
3: and did a lot of good stuff like i was very impressed um to the point where until you said stuff about him i assumed he was a pro yeah like i it was like he played really tough in spots really sticky but he also was like recognized some sizing stuff and took advantage of that like and new board textures and like oh this like he did a lot of real, th- really things well, but he also wasn't just trying to lock it up. Like you know, one of the things whenever I play a big private game is I make sure I don't give the people stuck, you know, the way Keating talks about a chance to win their money back. Yeah. And Huss said everything right. He's like, "Hey, I'm the one winning. I'm not going to change the stakes. You guys are stuck. Whatever you decide, I will go with." And watching that demeanor as opposed to the first night where ben's arguing about let's not do the stand-up game let's do this let's do that oh we have to do this like keep it seven
2: handed, yeah, don't let like, these guys in
3: yeah it's like you just be inclusive like accept that you are the one who's gonna do well or whatever you just want to make a better game like let the crowd decide instead of bullying into what you want
2: right yeah i, th- I think those points are really valid and like look huss might make a living from poker i don't know whenever i qualify pro i i I, I guess it's less about pro and amateur, and it's more about studied versus unstudied. And like, so I'm not a pro to you. Well,
3: <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you have
2: great instincts, Sean. I, I, that I, I hope work. I do. I mean, if, if not, I'm the
3: biggest outlier but, in poker but history. But yeah, like
2: honestly, Stanley is for sure more studied than Huss. Yeah, it's not even remotely close. I,
3: I actually know because one of his uh, good friends, we were playing together at the Win. Right when Stanley started going on the scene, they were like talking about solver stuff and how much work Stanley's done. And it's like it's it's i appreciate the people who are intelligent want to be students of the game yeah and guess what they don't have the time that i had to spend 10 years playing millions of hands online right, right. like they have to speed it up their life their time is too valuable so using solvers but also you see some of the stuff where solvers struggle like the queens to me seem like an easy bet call it's like you block most of his value and he was so convincing at jack 10 i was like i don't think the guy goes for a river check raise with jack 10 right and that's like the instinctual stuff that you might realize that the polarized range then you block value that makes it a better hit i mean first off you barrel the turn but if you check back the turn you always back all the river
2: yeah yeah i I think that's that's a really great point um uh, yesterday i couldn't turn it off i was trying so hard to work I was flying in, me and Kim, Kim probably wondered what I was doing. I'm just sitting there
3: watching poker on my phone. I'm, I almost said to her, I'm gonna say it now in the pod. This is not normal, I hate watching poker. but I, 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 For somebody
0: that hates it, he watched a lot of things. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we were traveling, there was not too much to do, but yeah, so uh, let, let's, let's get into the Rampage hand because that's yeah. the one that we all, I can't wait to talk about that
2: one. Yeah, that was definitely the key where it was like, I had it on in the background and I was actually in the process of getting work done. When that hand happened though, it was done shut everything off i was locked in like we're here for the rest of the night <laughs> i watched the viewership just continue to climb and uh, i thought that like that was the type of game that was just going to be epic it's going to be really I'm difficult the to talk the stream, but i want them to keep the v
1: running for me <laughs> it'll be the same fuck you hucks <laughs>
4: Well, again, so I don't have my like stats up. but instead
1: of not playing any hands over there?
4: One guy that is in the teams for B Pip <laughs> is Wesley, for sure.
1: I'm just joking. You try dude. to needle you, Wesley. Yeah, it
4: doesn't work. Does it doesn't it? work, right? <laughs> never. Doesn't work? Yeah, never. Fish, doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Rampage never, here. Number two, never works. Eight, seven of clubs. Hands just going to call with queen, queen. I mean, I watch 11. When of I times. five bet with I'm Going to play a trap <laughs> and <laughs> going to bring Pov in maybe here. You we don't see what he has. I got
1: six bet, six bet. What? By 180k, that's uh, killed. I was kill. like, I was like, like I was you screaming. In, in that game, you five bet 60k. And how about... you three bet
4: 50k, 60k. Top set here for hands. I 75 Who just flat called and he checks. And pav here... 13,000 open-ended with king eight hands yeah, super underrupt and rampage is going to check race here this flop yeah. right yeah he's not that and hands has got he's, he's queen queen
1: Big action, Just with the
4: flat games, call, free
1: One of one, 750k. 750k, drinks bottle of scotch, 20k. <laughs> Rose gold, uh, interior. <laughs> 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 Anytime you ask, you know, what did you drink last night? I drank a bottle of scotch, it was 7k. <laughs> a glass. Oh, yeah. Cool, okay. <laughs> you we'll other, call. Things, coronas, yeah. we, feel like like, yeah, we can afford Corona.
4: Bob's <laughs> out of there. Yeah. I mean, Rampage could have ace-king, king-nine. I mean, he could have a lot of hands here. It's just a single-raised pot. And a club comes off here on the turn, and Rampage picks up the nut flush draw. So nut flush draw got her to a king. Check-raise the flop.
1: That's
4: the pre-flop raiser. At least I never slide. I
1: don't need my queens. queen It's
2: queen It's too.
4: Cool. Not like you, huh? So you should come to uh, Vegas and play with us. It's very action. 175. And here comes the overbet here, 175 and Hans is just
1: so under-repped here. I
4: I can't imagine how he's not gonna continue.
1: I think that's very good. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's still better than your PokéBlock car. <laughs> I believe you. I believe your parents are in the My turn, you are in the fund, your fund.
4: But again, we're dealing with much wider ranges than what would be expected here because hands just flatted. In the, hedge fund. the big blind versus I mean, the small blind, blind open. <laughs> There's a call, and this would be a disaster if our queen or a jack of clubs somehow rolled off the rampage. The river here is a brick, and is Rampage going to go for it? There's absolutely no way that Rampage can know how strong. Hands all in! All in from Rampage! What heart! Unbelievable! 618,000 all in for people that said that his stack might not be in play. He's answered that question. Holy smokes! again if you're coming into this hand in the middle super unorthodox
1: yeah, he must hate me.
4: blind versus blind hands just called pre-flop and he's gonna fold and rampage gets it through oh my God unbelievable
2: this kid has all the game. fucking heart man he just I, has all the
3: heart i've i've been mad that i've only played with him once um because he's from the northeast and a lot of my friends uh from albany area i played with him at springfield talk about when he was coming up like you know i heard of him and he's just doing great things and he's a great winner he's a, was great on the show and obviously like you see the advantage of selling action where you, he's willing to do that you know He probably took more of himself. He should have, but I got respect for that guy. And obviously, that was a great hand. And hands, you know, kind of leveled himself, thinking that he wasn't going to punt
1: for that high. I'll be honest with you. I think Rampage would have done the same thing if he had 100% of himself. No shot. I don't know, man. I feel like. I'm with Conrad. Once he's at the table, it's different. (laughs) Like, you're at the table, the money's on the table, and
2: this is what's going on. I'm about 100% sure he would have pulled the same move. Uh, Assuming he check rates flop. Like, once you check-raise flop, I just think you run it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I've been in that spot where I have way too much of myself, and I told myself I'm going to play conservatively today, and we're just going to take the good spots, and then you find yourself in a check-raise <laughs> on the flop. And it's like, well, I have ace-king, and he fucking doesn't. So here we go. <laughs> you know? Well, clearly, uh, if
3: he has queens, he has ace-king. Like
2: that's if, Well, that, that's kind of the wild thing. You know, from Rampage's side, obviously, Rampage would, would much rather have, like, king-eight of clubs for example, would be a way better uh, bluffing candidate. Even ace nine of clubs will be infinitely better because you expect hands to have a fair amount of king nine suited. Um, but the dynamic of this is actually like pretty fascinating because initially I thought it was just blind versus blind and Rampage had opened. And I was like, oh, this is so stinky. Like This line doesn't make a ton of sense if they're playing a three-bet pot here because he would never flat ace king. Uh, I just, like, missed all the preflop, and I was like, oh, my God, this is such, such a punt because A, blind versus blind in an anti-game, like, am- Rampage just shouldn't be opening very much, and then B, he would just never flat a three-bet very often with ace-king. Like, you're never getting this through. Queens is snapping your dick off. Like, GG, young man. Well done. You have all the heart, but, like, this is over. Then I realized it was actually a straddled pot, and it was just a three-way single raise pot, and I'm like, oh, man, I like this line so much more. See, I'm—I don't know. You—you play these stakes more than me
3: and these stack depth, but I'm just not. I don't have a high check raising frequency on that board because I think your opponents are gonna check back so many hands on flop. Like, I mean, hands checked set of queens on queen jack ten. So like if they're checking that high up in their range, your opportunity to check raise and obviously was not checking planning on check raising. Yeah. But once pav bets and pav so spew splashy, like he just like, "Oh, I'm going to try to, you know, get him to fold one pair and a straight draw by the end or whatever." But like when hands cold called, man, I don't I don't know if I'm continuing on that turn.
2: Well, the the thing is is that um and yeah, your read, your read of his cold call is what's scary, I guess, but you pretty much just put him on Jack-10 specifically. Like, oh, he just has bottom two, and I'm just going to fucking get him off it. Because uh, you could never expect him to have sets here, right? Like, yeah. You just assume queens jackson 10's all three bet pre. Uh, and Tens all three-bet pre. And I disagree a bit with the check-raising frequency because on that texture, any C-bet into two people is rather polarizing. It's like, of course, you have all the Ace-King, and they have none. But because of that, now... Um, your your hands that you want to get like two streets of value with like king queen type of holdings just kind of start to underperform because they over funnel right and it's not like you can just yellow it with all of your nothing because they touch this board a lot with king x and they touch this board a lot with like ace plus pair and, and things like that so it's this weird conundrum where you, when you have hands that really want to generate folds like seven high or even under pairs they just have natural continues And then when you have hands that are uh, pretty strong value hand or value candidates, I guess, they actually are the ones holding a lot of dick in uh, those situations. They're just kind of forced to fold. So I think like what ultimately happens on this board when you're out of position three ways is it reduces to a two-street game and you do play a lot of check and you check through and then start to levy big bets on the turn. Um, And when that doesn't happen, you know that you found them in that pretty equitable region where they have like king plus pair or two pair type of holdings and you can really build the pot especially this deep like that's the beauty of what were they a thousand plus big blinds deep to begin this hand well 500 because of the straddle but yeah oh right right yeah sorry so there was a straddle but yeah even still the the spr i think going into post flop here was like uh what 20 pot was like thirty thousand. yeah thirty thousand flop. so
3: 20 20 so like 30 ish yeah, roughly yeah,
2: 30 yeah 33 spr that's fucking massive right so like even with top two, even with hands hand of top set, which we could never expect to be in there, you're in the fucking pressure cooker, man. When you face three, well, in this case, four streets of aggression, it's tough. But like he just has no calls. He has no calls in the spot that aren't king nine or better. Maybe I, I guess eight nine. Uh, but is it weird that I would rather
3: call with three queens than eight nine?
2: A little bit, yeah. Okay. Um, eight nine. I I mean, maybe not though. Maybe not because a lot of his bluffs should be coming from 9x knowing that you're capped at king 9, right? Um, So yeah, maybe not. Uh, Like this is where like
3: theoretical people, since I don't study the game, it's like, you know, I think that he has some like queen X hands. He might be turning a bluff or, you know, 10, nine of diamonds. Like there's so many combo draws on that board that anytime I have a nine or eight, I prevent some of those combo draws.
2: Especially if your thought process is I don't think he should be checking a lot. Yeah. Right. Like once you go down that rabbit hole, then yeah, you start to funnel him into well, what hands are very comfortable checking, and then once they see, uh, once they see a bet come from the third position, want to leverage out the middle guy, right? Because now once you once you put him into that tight little box, your your logic makes a ton of sense. Like top set is just the absolute nuts, and you want to uh, unblock all of his bluffs in that situation. Which in that case, you clearly would. I, I think regardless, like. You know, you underwrapped your hand so much. Like yeah, Queen's just you gotta have a glove catcher, baby.
3: but like, you know, Rampage said I'm selling action to punt. Like, I, and I believe people, and I believe that he was going to go in there, and he's not, he's a fighter for pots, mm-hmm. which is a great mentality to have, but you also got to know that he's not the type to give up. Clearly, he didn't give up with his hand, so, you know, you just got to say, tap the table if he was dealt a better hand, and you got coolered.
2: I I think that that brings up an interesting discussion. So there's been a lot of back and forth on Twitter between Rob and Doug, as well as uh, myself and uh, Person at different different stages throughout the Airball, and then most notably just Airball, always talking about wanting people to play their own money. Blank check Ben also always talking about how um, you know their biggest advantage is that they play their own money, and if if they force pros to play their own money, then you know they could neutralize that. And I actually think that this is a good example as to why that's not true. Like, yes, we know Rampage sold. Yes, we know he laid off risk. But we also know that Rampage for sure has more of his net worth at stake than anyone else in that game. Except Uh, maybe Aussie Matt. Right, yes, correct. (laughs) Um, And over those three days, knowing that to be true, what I found to be very clear is that everybody talking about playing their own money is relatively scared the reason why they want everyone to play their own money is so that they can feel comfortable folding the second nuts right if everybody's playing their own money then they know nobody ever bluffs and now all of a sudden they're very comfortable in making very difficult folds uh rather than having to be put into situations where they can potentially have to hero call off because now somebody that would otherwise be scared is clearly fearless it's not because they're going to put people in the pressure cooker i didn't see any of that from Ben, from Rob, from Airball. Uh, one one hand, Airball versus JRB, uh, he took a pretty erratic line where he put 200K in on the river, but they were still, you know, Two pots, three pots. Well, JRB also behind.
3: had made so many folds. Like airball kept going back. He was getting yeah. hands. JRB folded top pair to like four keying check raises. Exactly. Repeating head air. So like yeah. JRB seemed he was the like guy scared money. Yeah, yeah. Like he was just not gonna make that
2: huge call. Which yet. which again doubles down. He's not playing his own money. <laughs> right? Like I, I don't think that there's really much to this narrative of like, oh, if you played your own money, then you'd be scared and I could I could outmaneuver you. Uh, as, as a As a passionate wreck or whatever I mean we saw a situation where Rob had the second nut full house, he had the absolute nuts on the <laughs> on the on the turn, right. chose not to check raise there, had the second nuts on the river wasn't even considered check raising his decision was between check folding and check calling, and he was mad at himself for check calling one hundred and ten percent pot so it's like if you truly are uh, down that rabbit hole of when I hold the second nut full house, where full houses are a very difficult hand to make, uh, I don't even think I'm good facing a bet. There's no fucking way we're seeing these guys run it with like a random blocker. You know, there's no way we're gonna see the three x pot over over bet jam with uh, the the naked flush card in their hand and things like that. I, I just think it's like a whole lot of wanting to kind of thought like put their thumb on the head of pros and uh or kind of like trample them down a little bit and say like look this is our arena you should feel welcome that you're even allowed to be considered in it and uh in order to keep you out even further we're going to ask you to play 100 percent of yourself in any of these situations
3: so i've i love this comment from uh Luis brazil god who i know you play with a few times yep. he's great yep. we had a lot of fun down in texas and he's like the weirdest thing to him being from the investment world is everyone in the investment world takes outside money. Why do poker players get shamed for doing that when every other industry that does, deals with large sums and large deals, they take in outside capital? Yeah. Why, why do these businessmen who have raised in split equity and you know sold valuations and done all these things, why do we get shamed because we're gambling for it while their businesses are also gambling and right. they're also taking less risk and taking a free And
2: life. also, it's not like we've never sat case money. Those of us that are still here are survivors. Like, we have the biggest amount of survivorship bias. We've all sat case money and gone broke. I have four different times
3: in my first two, three years online before Conrad even knew about poker, you know, where (laughs) my account was all in on PokerStars and I won the $10 rebuy or some other tournament and ran the roll up or used my FPP points to buy into a WCOOP 1K that I like, you know, final tabled and got a roll back together. Like we've all done that early in our career. And that fear is why, you know, when we've talked about your stuff with Airball, like taking so much yourself, like these are the stakes I'm comfortable at. I, I can't go broke at this stage of my career it's just it's not worth it to go back to grind right like I'm at this point I, I'm at an age where I'm thinking about retirement and other investments like why would I go all in for this small of an edge right like we don't have the we can't 100x that you can like in a business that you can go all in on exactly we can like 3x at best if you have your bankroll on the table
2: yeah yeah that's that's precisely it so it's like these spots are obviously fantastic for us as professionals but i think your your um, description of what the upside is what the ceiling is it, it it's so relatively low compared to outside endeavors that are probably even more conservative to be honest right like if we compared sitting in the million dollar cash game with 100% of yourself or maybe like your risk of ruin is like i don't know 40% something like that versus putting 100% of your liquidity in bitcoin which we know to be an extremely volatile asset Upside is still probably higher on Bitcoin, even uh, in the relative short term. If you compared like one year versus like, you know, one session, something along those lines. So uh, I think that, yeah, I mean, like whatever, let them take their shots. It's fine. Um, I think Doug's going to learn firsthand how the angry mob deals with transparency Him him and Rob,
3: I mean, we all can't wait to see that again. Yeah. I mean, their banter is great. They're they're shit-talking. And I love Doug saying that I'm going to go in today... And by the end of the day, either be the biggest winner or biggest loser in Hustler stream history. Yeah. And like, I took a very small piece of Doug. I asked last minute for it, got it. I'm so hyped because I love when Doug says that F you mode and he's going to put people in spots. Like we played so many Poker Night episodes where Doug just V-pipped a crazy amount, 3-bet like 30%, 4-bet like 15%. He just took every spot with the most garbage hands but man is it so much fun to play in that dynamic and i really hope that the other people are ready to go to battle because that's gonna be this is gonna be by far their
2: biggest show i think today can i make a prediction he's gonna be the biggest loser no i think he's gonna fall flat i don't think he's gonna have a sparring partner in that lineup
3: i I don't know who's the who's the whole lineup today
2: uh him airball hands hands uh mariano rob you don't think mariano will go for it? no I mean, he's not a sparring
3: partner.
1: He just has it. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah.
3: I, I, I've only seen a few episodes. He obviously is cool with the shit out of everyone. But I feel like he's also a showman. And maybe he might just say, fuck it, I'm going to go if, for if it. If
2: Huss is there, I think those. I think that's your only shot. Oh, I well, think,
3: Huss being up what he is, yeah, he's yeah, going to. But I, I don't
2: think they're going to let him play. Really? He's up two million.
3: Who cares? That he's would great
2: be for absurd. the show. I agree. That would be absurd I, if they let him I wholeheartedly agree. I don't think that he's going to get in. Uh, uh, And I don't know this for sure, but... I think today's a very pro-heavy lineup. I don't think anybody's going to spar with Doug. I think he's going to have the highest VPIP. I think he's going to have the highest three-bet percentage. I think he's going to have you know, top of the charts with all this stuff. And I think like, the swings are going to be a couple hundred thousand. I think we're going to see a lot of Friday revisited. I think Airball's going to VPIP like uh, 20.
3: I'll, 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 I'll make a small wager that the biggest winner or loser is a million in the game.
2: Okay. Yeah.
3: How much you want to do it for? Um,
2: wh- whatever. You tell me. Thousand. Perfect. All right.
1: Done. So, it looks like the lineup is, is 29th, right? Uh, Polk, Wesley. Get Wesley out of there. Right, How does so, Wesley get a seat over Husk? Come yeah, on. Yeah, that's <laughs> absurd. Um, so, it's only four names. It's Polk, Wesley, Hans, and Rob Young. Okay. Yeah. And then I think...
3: I heard Derv was mentioned by Airball yeah. as a possibility. Um, I think Airball and Doug getting into it would be pretty fun. The banter.
2: I, I expect Airball to be a shell of himself. Uh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, with what we saw yesterday... In what I would deem to be a relatively action-packed game, where he v nothing, played twenty percent, like that's that's the airball that I know. I've been calling him a fake action pro since day one. Like that was a game where he looked around. He goes, I don't really have a target. Tony G left. JRB's not here. Uh, you know who am I going after? Everybody thinks Hands is very good. Rampage is obviously very capable. Huss with Sun running and is obviously a decent player on his own. Uh, you know, he had Pav to his right, but Pavel also had like four hundred thousand. You know, and he was
3: just three betting a ton. Like, yeah. what is Airbril doing? Folding jacks? Like, if, insane. If the guy had bro. three bet like twenty hands already. You're, it was like forty k. You're a million deep. Like, yeah, your hands kind of face up calling, but doesn't matter. You just just do something. Just do something. Yeah. It doesn't
2: matter. Like, you're on TV with jacks and a million effective. And like, you snap just a, do You don't even think about it. Like. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he wants to play good. Like, I wish they just zoomed in on his face when it came Ace Jack X. Like, they did, <laughs> oh, they did. Okay, <laughs> his eyes were bugging. <laughs> um, but yeah, like when in those games where the spots aren't obvious, right? They become very obvious to Doug. Like Doug is a consummate pro, it doesn't matter what lineup you roll out at these stakes. It's just going to be very profitable for him. So he's not going to give a shit. He's not going to alter the way he plays at all. Uh, he's just going to get in there and mix. And uh, I think that like you're just gonna see a lot of what we saw in high stakes poker. That game was very tight. You know, like I didn't think it was unwatchable because of the banter. Don't get me wrong. Like the table, you're talk- crazy to say that. What that was not unwatchable for the banter. It was so loud. No, I, I agree with you. I-, I agree with that. But I'm saying specifically like that wouldn't have been what turned me off. Um, being a part of the game, I thought it was a snooze fest. Like I just thought it was so full of fake action and drama and then like nothing came to head you know there was no oh we got to get into this but there was no huss wesley dynamic which was exactly what was expected like you know the way it was built up with me versus airball me versus lynn me versus eric me versus doug it was it was supposed to be you know all of this back and forth all of this banter uh which to be fair i wasn't exactly going to be a willing participant in but at least you know Uh, it, It could have been there. It never happened. And then on top of that, the hands were just so fucking boring. Like nobody was really getting after it. Doug obviously took a bath because he was trying to, you know, play correct, theoretically correct and be aggressive in all the right nodes. And he's just running into the nuts because nobody's countering, you know, nobody's sparring with him. Um, last night, the Huss-Wesley dynamic, and the best part is that it was literally just born out of a guy playing fucking tight. <laughs>
3: well, that's some of the best things, like, I, as, right I'm sure now. you've been like it's me, You're maybe not as competition.
1: And I'd love to hurt him physically, but...
4: Oh,
0: oh my God. Take enough. it easy, buddy. Bro. I guess
1: financially is an option. Financially, it's not. He has to play hands. <laughs> oh,
4: <laughs> hell, hell. Bro, my man just said... Um, I-
2: You know, he's a nice guy. He's really enjoyable. Like, he was chatty. But it just rubbed me such the wrong way to be in such a dream spot versus, you know, fish on a platter and then be sitting there V-pipping like 9%. I gave him so much money just trying to force him into action. So, it's funny because uh, when I was down in Houston, me and
3: Marcus were talking. Marcus talked about all the shit that Ralph would do and he's like he would sit there short by and I would get blackout drunk and then he'd all of a sudden cover me and just wait for the nuts like <laughs> bro, this, happened,
2: this blow up. It was wild. It was like uh, a month ago and we we had been playing all day. There were two games and you know eventually it consolidated into one and Marcus just decided darkest was coming out and he just starts getting ripped and the game's not good. It's like all pros like nine pros and Ralph, all day long, had, like, 10K in front of him, you know, just kind of, you know, doing his thing. And he's immediately, he, he got sat to uh, mark his left. Suddenly, I look up, and he has a fucking 100,000 in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. What
3: the... F- like, I- you got to be coy with it a little bit. Like, that's just... I, there's no shame of doing that. Like, they, they got to be ridiculed by the other pros.
2: I mean, to be fair, like it worked out in his benefit. Marcus was giving him all the wrong action. I mean, Jack four off and shit, like just getting after, you know, me and him had a lot of fun. We, we played some
3: quite large pots at one, three, no limit down in Texas.
2: Yeah. As you should, we were 10 K deep. How could you not? Right. Of course, exactly. And that's, that's, I think whenever you get that, that's why I say you need a sparring partner in these types of games, because largely speaking, all of the people that make the game good, Are there to be kind of background noise or or, uh, kind of bystanders, if you will. They want to see blood between the two people that are making the most money in the game to begin with. And then they just want to interject themselves as they see fit. They want to get a big hand in the middle of a raise, re-raise spot, uh, you know, get involved in some capacity. They need the money to flow through the people who are facilitating action so that they can get in there, feel comfortable bluff catching in certain situations, making the nuts and trapping. You know, uh, we even saw it with Tony G where he flopped the nut straight versus uh, Stanley and never put a raise in. You know, ace, deuce, three, rainbow has five, four. There was a draw on the flop. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, and a backdoor jack 10 coming in as the nuts. And by the time it was all said and done, he faces an overbid on the river and he's like, I guess I just have a bluff catcher. You know what I mean? And that's fine. There's no, nothing wrong the river. with that. No, Yes, he, he raised
3: to 500k. Oh, really? Yeah, he raised the river to 500k.
2: Oh, I must have I must have uh, not been paying close no, attention. No, no, he
3: made it 500k. Oh, okay. And and Stanley just Stanley snapped. Folded. Folded. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. It was so quick, so that the graphics selling thing caught it. That's but fair. I had the volume on, uh, and so yeah, he raised the 500k in the river. Okay, yeah, and yeah, and then yeah, showed that's one fair. card and showed the four or five or whatever. Sure. And everyone knew what he had.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, th- yeah, that's great, and that, that's 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 what should be happening. Uh, the the only point I was making about not raising was just that you know sometimes the, the stack-to-pot ratio is still so deep that you hate to consider getting jammed on if you do raise in the spot. But uh, nevertheless, like, ultimately, that's what's going to make people who make the game good feel comfortable, is knowing that there's enough action around them that they don't have to be the ones generating it. When we were playing the, the high-stakes poker lineups uh, that were, like, less tough, Rob was trying really hard to be the facilitator of action. And it's just like... It was it was what it was, you know? Like, if he ran good, it was going to be good for the game because uh, he was in the mix and and everything else. But if he ran bad, then he just, like, put it on somebody else to, to kind of facilitate the action. And he's a good table talker, so it, it's kind of okay. And that's uh, probably my biggest defense of why I think Wesley is such a net negative for the stream and why Airball actually is good. Um, even though I think like he's full of shit when it comes to playing higher, he's full of shit about covering everybody, he's full of shit uh, about being this loose action pro, and everything else that Airball promotes, I think he's just completely full of shit on. But he's very loudly full of shit, and that brings in eyeballs. Wesley's also full of shit and doesn't say a word. So outside of him being willing to actually get into a fight with Huss at the table, bro, he said, come at me, motherfucker. Wesley said that? Bro, he looked him right in the face he goes <laughs> he goes fucking punch me <laughs> I mean, that's
3: the only guy who's actually smaller than Wesley. So he, he found his one target. He might that be able to win the yeah, physical but man, fight. Yeah, man,
2: Huss is like a Tasmanian devil. I like, <laughs> I, I like him in that side.
3: I, I mean, yeah. Whoever described him as a, a very young Mr. Bean on one of the spaces was, <laughs> once they said that, I grew up loving Mr. Bean. And it, that is the perfect thing. And he just has that goofy little, like, head bobble. And, yeah, yeah like, he, he was great for the show. And I think that, uh, you know, he's someone who deserves a seat. And he was great action. And he was a gracious winner. You know, he, he said, like I said earlier, he said all the right things. And I thought he was a guy that I would love to have at the table, whether he's winning or not. And that's yeah. what you want out of a game.
2: Was there any point where you thought that the table talk got, went overboard between those two?
3: Um, I was on a flight, so I didn't have the best volume. Um, but no, I think that like the that guys giving action, the guys winning should be calling out the snipers of the game. Yeah. Who are just sitting there. And then when they walk away and leave forever, like berate them. And, you know, Ben kind of uses a point to try to kick the game down, try to, like, use them as the excuse. But do you think also Ben wanted to be a little bit deeper so he could be more comfortable right. with some of the spots he was in? Yeah, like, he Like, getting three so 50K fast.
2: every hand. Like, right, right. he was
3: down, like, 400K in, like, 40 minutes. Just That's like, what I'm
2: saying. Like, his asshole puckered yeah. at 1K, 2K, 4K. It puckered, who man. Who doesn't at those stakes? I mean, people who regularly play those stakes. <laughs> There's not too
3: many people who regularly play those
2: stakes. You'd be surprised. You would be surprised. Um... Not on TV though. Yeah, you're right. It, it's it's gonna be like Rick Solomon would have been an amazing addition to this. I,
3: I'm amazed Rick didn't get a seat when Jared Beak was in the lineup. He I was offered. For sure. uh, yeah. I think
2: that he's out of town for a wedding, from what I what I heard on the stream. Um, but yeah, like the Bob Safai game is regularly 1K, 2K, 4K, and those guys are all fucking sick animals, and you know they they shouldn't be on TV to be quite honest, <laughs> because it'll just ruin the allure of of what's going yeah, on what, behind the Once not you expose that? Like that's what Keating's talked about. You know.
3: Some of the if his games ever got streamed yeah you you just you can 't compete with that there 's nothing that will play those stakes that type of action, that type of stuff, the straddles and the dark raises, and the crazy everybody bugs. just
2: changes too like the, everybody in the lineup just changes and they 're too hyper aware of the fact that cameras are on um, in my opinion yesterday 's dynamic was was one of the most watchable i 've seen rampage having all the heart in that situation was absolute must see tv i thought that the the banter and the fighting between wes and hustley or Husley wes and uh huss was just absolutely incredible uh you know I, I i do think that there's a case to be made for wes feeling like i guess a bit picked on but i don't know i mean we're all adults what poker game have you become where the biggest nit isn't picked on Every
3: single game I play, whoever's the tightest person, someone makes fun of them.
1: As they should be.
3: That's like you. I've never. Have you been in a game where no. the biggest knit is not made fun of, uh, bro? I've been called a knit in games. You were knit when we played in Bahamas, by the way.
2: Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
4: wait, wait. i played so
3: every hand. No, me and Marcus were both very drunk, but we would. We both agreed that's the tightest we ever seen you play
2: it's funny because i i left saying marcus was tight until he got drunk (laughs) Uh, i was not tight at any point i I mean (laughs) (laughs) you guys you guys are insane we have some fun
3: man i I was there to let loose you know i was i don't get to play those stakes regularly i want to have fun
2: and you know i enjoyed myself it was a great time I had a blast. Obviously, uh, I won all the money, but <laughs> I, I think that yeah. I mean, like, look the the times that I get accused of being a nit, I just always find it to be hilarious, and those are ribs that like I'm very happy to take. You also had a bad seat. Like, you had the the action guy to your left, and you didn't want a three bet and four
3: bet and shut him out. Like, I know that that was. Oh, one if of your you're
2: ideas. saying I was tight in the sense that I wasn't yeah, playing yeah, super, fun, yeah, fun, yeah I, I just called a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you're right, a hundred percent. Like, like uh, I, I wasn't trying to. The I've
3: heard is you know. I was like, we're going to get to pre-flop wars. This is going to be fun. Like, it's like a tournament with super deep stack cash. Yeah, yeah, you just like... Your 3-bet and 4-bet frequency was like very low.
2: Uh, I mean, honestly, that's much closer to my MO. Like, I've always just... Again, going back to like the value that I felt like I added to those games, it was never uh, going to be that I'm a hyper-aggro pre because I played in games where I didn't have that sparring partner and I wanted people to feel comfortable seeing 3. Like, the majority of the VIPs in the game are just there to kind of see a flop and see if they can hit something. So very, very early on in, in getting to play in Ivy's room, it was clear to me that like, if you get into the double digits of three bet percentage, you're going to get fucking kicked out really quickly. So
3: I got in that game one time. And I was three betting a ton, and I just had Queens plus Ace King every time. I showed every time. I'm like, I'm not trying to abuse you guys. Like yeah. I had it every single time, and I showed them, and they were all laughing, like, Jeremy, we're on so much money in your seat. And I'm like, I'm not picking on you guys. I just have it again and again. It was <laughs> yeah. like I didn't want to have that image of me running them over exactly. the, Like I was aware that that's not the image you want to have. The
2: precursor to me getting in there was Benba telling me that he had seats originally, and they wouldn't let him raise preflop. Ben Ben deserved not to race people. That game when he first got
3: in, I, know. I mean, I was so mad. I never had a piece of that. I was yeah, it was so wild.
2: But like, yeah, so they had a rule where it's like, okay, you can play with us, but you can only limp. So it's just like, if I know that going in, I'm certainly not going to like come out and just be a terror and just make somebody feel like they're isolated, especially like whoever draws my right. It's not really going to matter. I'm just going to yeah. be, it's going to be them. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I saw Marcus getting like pretty ripped. I didn't want to feel like the guy who is just ISOing him. And just being like, okay, this guy's really drunk. I'm going to take advantage of my seat position on him and just, like, three-bet every fucking time he puts money in the middle. It's like, yeah, let's all have a party. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm looking forward to tonight. Uh, is there also going to be a game tomorrow, do you think? I think it was five days, so there yeah. should be
3: one tomorrow. Okay.
1: There's one scheduled on YouTube.
2: Well, I guess we'll be playing the 25K and sweating it from the rail. Uh, do you
3: want to make any side bets in the 25K? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't side bet against you, dude. I, have, I, I. I have a feeling. That, I said it when you started the weight loss bet. I have a feeling you're gonna crush, and then you immediately final tabled the Lodge or what, whatever you did. I have a feeling you have a good side. I feel
2: like you lost money in that series. A Lodge? No. Yeah. Hell no. no. Oh. I, played, I just remember you being in for like five or six bullets in the one that you won. I figured that was yeah, just. I
3: was in for six bolts. The one I won, I won like 24 bullets effectively, mm-hmm. and then the main I was in for seven bolts and got like 25. Oh, bags. that's
2: right. I forgot you. You final table that as well.
3: Yeah. Sure. I mean, I played three events. One of the, uh, the third one I played that I didn't cash was the 10 K six max that I max late reg and, you know, had 12 blinds was in and out. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great trip. And then I won a bunch of money in Houston. I mean, the action Texas is insane. You know, may move, may move down there. And wow. May not. Yeah. Yeah. Some crazy stuff going on. Uh, but you know, it's a great opportunity for poker. There's so much new companies coming in, doing different things. And, I'm just happy to be a part of it and watch the game grow. I mean, we see the numbers of Hustler. We see other great numbers of other streams. World Series coming at a great time. We're going to break every record at the World Series they've ever had. I agree. And uh, it's just showing how strong poker is right now.
2: I, I was I was about to end the show, but I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up. Let, let's, uh, let's spend like five minutes or so and just walk me through this Vertucci beef i okay. can't see any of it because he has me blocked I just, <laughs> I just saw that Same. i had 87 mentions that half of them were you and half of them were somebody who has me blocked so yeah so
3: i you know made a few comments over the last few nights about the game and some of the things i didn't like and nick just you know rob responded and nick said something about like how thanks for putting this two-faced shit bag in his place or something and i assumed he was talking to you and like then he then someone he said he was talking to me and i was like dude You know, I like you and I I like what you guys are doing for the show, but, you know, I've been a part of streams for longer than you have. You know, I was on the first Poker Night in America. I was involved. Like, they were the show for the first five years. There was no competition out of the real stream games of those stakes. And we had an amazing episode after amazing episode and great lineups. And so I get this industry. Like, we didn't play as big as they do in Hustler, but we also were traveling from stop to stop. You know how hard it is to get pros or big-name people to fly out to, like, where were we? Like, uh, what's that? Not Cherokee. What's the shitty little Choctaw. Texas? Choctaw. Like, you know how hard it is to get people to go to Choctaw and try to get Jennifer Tilly to go there and, like, you know, other names? Like, it was so much harder to coordinate where people don't live around there or it's not a major city to go to. Like, they only had one Vegas show. Florida was, like, the most popular one. We would do Turning Stone AC. It was so much harder to get a regular crowd of people because you're popping it up for five, three, four days filming two of the days and someone to fly in for that. It's just not going to happen where LA has so much more flexibility. People are in town. People live there. There's a lot of money there. So like they have that benefit of being in that market.
2: What was your overall criticism?
3: Um, I thought Airball and Wesley should have not gotten seats. And if they did get seats, they should have been berated for walking away so much. Yeah. Like you're trying, if you're not going to fill the game back up to eight handed and shut out Doug and, you know, Rob at the same time, whatever, like you got to make sure the people bought in that day are there. Yeah. It's like these guys are forced to play four-handed. If, if there was a different crowd, the game would have broke. Yeah. I've been a part of a few stream games, and probably you have been as well, where once a few people die and you're playing four-handed and someone quits, then there's just no stream. Right. Yeah. Imagine if those guys were like, okay, if Pav gets stacked and then all of a sudden the game breaks right, while right. they're walking, like that's just terrible for them for production. Like If they're so low to the show and they've done so much and they've made so much money on the show... They need to be there and represent. And you want to complain about not being in the game for the first two days, you get in, I'm I would be I would not even try to go to the bathroom during that game. Yeah, of course. I, <laughs> I, I'm just not I'm not peeing. I'm I'm sitting there at the table, not drinking any water. Like I'm there to put on the show and, and be a part of the game. Why am I walking out to do a victory lap and just walk around and say, Hey, I got a million dollars on the table, cool, look at me. Let's have a drink and let's do an interview with Veronica and Joey on the couch. Like, that
2: that game should have been the biggest spot of Airball's streaming career. I uh, completely agree with that And not only was he walking a lot But I was shocked to see him rack up at midnight
1: Yeah, yeah. I Fight. saw this tweet My bad, I saw this tweet that Seaver wrote He said, another day of a ton of, ton of people Tuning into another boring stream While in Bobby's room there was almost Two separate fist fights Be the change you want to see in the world And Vertucci just comments on it The question is why, just why My question is Why the fuck are you commenting on this? <laughs> I, here's the thing you know what goes
3: on bobby's room the mixed crowd are way more vicious you want to talk about needles like when i play on stream it's easy going when you play a live mix game with like the east coast people or some vegas regs they're destroying you every time there's no mm-hmm. minute where it's not a fucking needle and everything has a backhand compliment like that community because it's limit game there's a lot more conversation and the people are more outgoing in general than you will see in like a
1: no limit game it's just also the old school like well, there's, a, there's a good mix. Like,
3: there, there's, you know, Monet, Shulman, Seaver, Cruck. Like, there's a bunch of great guys. Then you got, you know, Aaron Katz and, you know, the other crowd and mm-hmm. fucking Opie. I mean, there's there some all different
2: sc- degrees of old school, though. Cause, like, I, I kind of agree with Conrad. The, the Ivy Room game that I played in was the exact same. It, it was whoever was winning was the enemy. Whoever was losing was open target. Like, nobody, and I mean nobody, has taken more. Than JRB. I've seen this man down to his last penny. I've seen him get
3: stacked four times for his bankroll.
2: Yeah. Just four different times. And while it happens, like the entire table enjoy. I there was a time. <laughs> there was a time where he was like on case money, buried to the fucking gills, and one of the VIPs who was in town was just like, Oh my god, I completely forgot. There's this highlight reel of JRB getting stacked on YouTube. You guys okay. have to see it. And he starts playing it for everybody. He goes, here's my favorite one, here's my favorite one. <laughs> and it's the one from the World Series. Where he thought he with the guy with was the dead. Queen. Yeah. <laughs> enough for hours. Everybody's just looking at him going, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was brutal. There was just no compassion. I gotta tell my favorite JRB
3: going broke ones. Uh, he had his last 10K, we were playing two four mixed. Ben Lamb was in the game, Crazy Mike, myself, I, maybe a binger, who I don't, I don't know who the whole lineup was. But we play a pot where it's like single raise, PLO, it's 100-100, 10K cap, whatever. It's jack-7-3, all hearts. I lead some bullshit two-pair hand. Ben Cole call, or, uh, Ben raises, JRB like repots all in. But he has the nuts, no fucking question. <laughs> ben sticks it in and goes, do you want to chop it? He's like... He's like, you have the nuts, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, it's a flip. He's like, what do you mean it's a flip? He's like, I got, you know, a uh, full wrap and a flush draw. And he's like, I have the nut flush. And Ben misread the board. Oh, okay. So Ben is super tilted that he misread the board because <laughs> he just thought he was against top set. And so he realized he has, like, no equity. He has, like, a gut shot straight flush draw. And he's like, fuck it, run it once. And he just turns the fucking straight flush, yeah. and Crazy Mike goes six, seven, eight, nine, ten of hearts, straight <laughs> flush. and he gets up and high fives Ben, and JRB just fucking throws his hands over his head, and we've all seen him look where he just stares at the felt, yeah. it's fucking empty in front of him, yeah. in his fucking seat one of Ivy's room, and he's just waiting for his next check for his ambassador thing yeah. to come in and try to run him back up.
4: Oh, no. Like
3: it was so vicious. And it had to be the, like, I've told him, I've watched the Comedy of Errors, for him to get stacked that hand, Ben Lamb is one of the sharpest live players, for him to misread a board, right, right like, right. he wasn't drunk, it was, you know, not super late at night, Yeah, it's like, for all that shit to go wrong, and then him to get one out, it, it's just so fucking brutal, like, I, I felt so bad for him, I'm happy to see him, you know, back in big games, I hope he, you know, stays in money, I know it's tough for him, But, you know, I root him well because he does mean well and he's so entertaining to play with. He's the best. I love playing with him. I know when you guys are talking, you're trying to tell stories about how you helped him win his condo that game. Like, that was a great story.
2: It was the most insane fucking thing. Like, the the sequence of events that had to take place that day were (laughs) were so insane uh, that it was like, you know, a minor bad beat for me. Not only did I lose a half a million in the game, but then I miss out on three days of playing with the chairman. But on top of that... Chairman immediately made it a million dollar buy-in. So, J.R.B.'s priced out. But he had happened to run up 100K to 800 and basically said, like, please make an exception for me. I don't want to put 200 more on. And the chairman goes, okay. And then three days later, he just emerges 5.5 million victorious. Suddenly, he's a free man, <laughs> buys a condo, <laughs> he's playing on his own. The he got, yeah, yeah he did like, everything. He's just balling out. C- I mean, he embodies broke living JRB. Like, he lives the fucking life. He's about it.
3: Yeah, it's it's impressive. Um, You got respect for the at grind, and you see how exhausted he is. He's playing 24 7. 100%. He's running his game, playing a game. Like, he's flying around. Like, he is living a crazy lifestyle. Now he's got, you know, I don't know if he has a third kid three yet. Or, kids, yep. Three kids. He has three kids, yeah. And the twins, like, that's so fucking tough, but I have so much respect for that ability to work so hard for your family and to be such a fun-loving degenerate. Like, yeah, he—he he is. Every pro should aspire to be JRB.
2: Yeah, honestly, and like then. there will be endless stories about JRB for years and years to come. Uh, I, I'm so happy that I was privy to like this window of time where I got to kind of have my own experience with it, and I hope I—I I, I have I, more. I got another
3: funny JRB story that he loves to tell. So. <laughs> I actually JRB is the reason I started playing live mix games. I played a little bit of the Stars 100, 200, 8 game, and JRB was organizing this game when Aria first started with Tommy Fisher um, and a few other. This guy Lance and uh, Jimmy Warren was the other guy, and these were all the old school Vegas mix game guys who like crushed you know all the amateurs who would come play with them, and they were super nitty or whatever. Tommy Fisher was a big time gambler, and he's like, "Hey, you got to come play this game," and the mix was like. A bunch of games I play, and then No Limit Single Draw was in there. And I was like, I've never played this game. It's like, you're a great No Limit player. You'll figure out this game. You know Triple Draw. Trust me, just play. And we were playing. It was 2-4, uh, and the single draw had a 8K cap? Yeah, 8K, 8K cap. So uh, I, he takes half of me in the single draw for the session. I lose like 5K in the session, but I lost 62 K in the single draw (laughs) rounds. (laughs) I got fucking torched. And I went and studied single draw and played online versus like Seaver and David Williams and a few other like, uh, what was it? Uh, Anyway, uh, a few other like good players. And I learned the game. And he he always talks about, I was like, you learned the game. And was, he was like, would you have changed hands? I said, I think I wouldn't have gotten stacked once out of that hand. I ran so bad. And JRB to lose 30K in that spot was like a huge percentage of his bankroll. Yeah. And he was more tilted than I was as I was getting stacked every single, single time. <laughs> <drive. laughs>
2: Poor bastard. He's yeah. always on the wrong side of hey, it. But,
3: you know, I appreciate him. He, he was good to me, you know, and he pushed for me to go there. And I had a great time playing that game. And that, you know, got me playing the live mixed games and really got me totally tuned into what was available in mixed games. So my career would not be nearly what it was if it wasn't for JRB pushing me.
2: Yeah. I hope we see him a little bit at the series. He'll, uh, he'll
3: show up with a ball of wine. He'll play the, his events he likes. And yeah. uh, I was happy the bracelet he won, you know, the six max was crazy.
2: That's insane. Yeah. Of all the bracelets for him to win, the 5k six max is just like so insane. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was happy to ship it. We were all rooting from afar that year. I think that's going to do it for us. We got to get out of here. I got some cards to go
1: I'm, play. Before we get out of here, I need a one sentence on how do I get better at D7 triple draw. A uh, triple jaw? Triple jaw. Start with a deuce. All right. Well, there we go.
2: That's your one sentence, Conrad. That's all I it, needed. Take us home. It's
1: really important. I mean, that, that's all I needed. Thanks for rocking with us again. We will be back tomorrow at our early slot. I think we're at 1030 now? Yep. We'll be back tomorrow at 1030. Have a great day. Later.
0: Thank you.